If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter one. I'm gonna read a verse. Um, but you know, here, here's the thing. A weekend like this, Easter weekend, uh, it's really, there's these, these two components to Easter. One is the cross, which is Friday, what happened on Friday. I think a lot of people understand what happened at the cross. A lot of people have heard that message, even people that are not followers of Christ, even people that have never gone to church. The cross is kind of everywhere, right? People wear it around their neck. Uh, People, you'll see it on signs in different places. You'll see billboards, uh, you'll see shirts. People talk about it. Uh, There's so many Christian televisions and things like that where people talk about the cross. So I think a lot of people understand Uh, the cross, at least at a surface level. People understand that the cross, this represents what Jesus Christ has done for us and who he is to us, that Jesus was the son of God, that he lived a blameless life, a perfect life for 33 years. And then in obedience, he went to the cross and he laid down his life in your place, in my place. And he took upon himself the penalty of our sin because the Bible says in Romans three, that everyone, all of us, we sin, we've fallen short of God's glorious standard and we've sort of missed the mark in life. And, And Jesus, he went to the cross to pay for that penalty that comes along with that. And I think a lot of people we, we, we can connect to that because who doesn't want forgiveness, right? Who doesn't want a fresh start? Who doesn't want a new beginning in their marriage or, or in the different areas of their life and in, in, in the area of morality or, or maybe there's, there's a bunch of baggage you have in your life? Like, I think we can connect with the Friday. But what I've discovered is a lot of people, even within the church, they struggle to really grasp and understand what the Sunday was all about. See, Friday is about the cross, what Jesus did for us. But Easter Sunday, this whole idea of resurrection, we, we can oftentimes wonder, like, what does that mean? At least I do. Like, like, hopefully it means that when I die, I'll be resurrected and I'll live with God in heaven forever. But how does that actually apply to right here and right now? What does Easter say to my Monday? What does Easter Sunday say to Thursday or to Friday or to my marriage or to the areas of my life where I've struggled and I find myself in ruins? What does Easter say to that, and so we're going to talk about that for a little bit. But first, uh, let, let me answer this question: Why did Jesus need to rise from the dead? Here's the first one. Write this down. The first one was to prove that he really is who he claimed to be. That's the first reason why Jesus had to be resurrected. Look what Matthew chapter 26 says. It says, "He isn't here." This is what the people said when they went to his tomb. He isn't here. He isn't here. He is. Somebody say it with me. Risen. He is risen from the dead, look, just as he said. See, Jesus actually, he told people when he went around teaching, he would tell people, I'm going to die. And then three days later, I'm gonna rise again. That's never been done before. I'm gonna rise again. And this is going to be proof that I am who I said I was. I am the son of God, I am the Messiah, and I'm the savior of the world. Jesus actually, he told people that he was gonna do that. Look at what it says in Acts chapter one, I love this. After his suffering, after Jesus' suffering on the cross, Friday, after his suffering, he presented himself to them, this is after now Sunday, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Listen, Jesus, when you read, uh, when you read history and you read the gospels, Jesus appeared to over 400 people and he gave them convincing proofs. Like he would show them the scars in his hands, the scar on his side. And all of this was to communicate to them, like, listen, everything that I told you, it's all true. 
Everything I said about myself, it's all true. I am proof. My resurrection is proof that I am who I said I was and I can do what I said I could do. Look at what I read the other, other day. This is beautiful. Of the four major world religions based upon a founder as opposed to a system of ideas, watch this, only Christianity claims that the tomb of its founder is empty. Judaism looks back to Abraham who died almost 4,000 years ago and still cares for his grave as a holy site in Hebron. Thousands visit Buddha's tomb in India every single year to pay respect to him. Islam's founder, Muhammad, died on June 8th, 632, and his tomb is visited by millions of people every single year. These tombs have bodies still in them to this day. However, millions of Christians make their way to Jerusalem every year to see an empty tomb. Not to go, yeah. To go see an empty tomb. Why? Because as the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, indeed, he is alive. We serve a risen Savior. And his, his resurrection proves that he was the Son of God. I, I don't have time to go into a whole apologetics and, and a whole lecture on all the different things, not just in Scripture, but different hi historians that have written about the resurrection. It is virtually impossible for it not to be true. That's another sermon for another day. It would probably take six hours to unpack all of that. But I promise you, do yourself a favor. Go read up on it. It would be virtually impossible for the resurrection not to be true. Based on all the prophecies and all the different writers that are even not even Christians that wrote years, just a few years after the resurrection of Christ. It is absolutely convincing. But here's the second reason why Jesus, he had to be raised from the dead. Uh, and this is the part that I think speaks to us. To conquer death for himself and for us. That was a little golf clap there. You're just like, nobody else. Yeah, don't you hate it whenever you're like, oh, oh, and then no one else, you're like. I was just playing around. I was just, my hand was itching a little bit. Just a little scratch right there. Revelations 1, look at this. That's funny, I don't care who you are. Revelations, <laughs> Revelations chapter 1, look what it says. This is Jesus. Now, I, this, is, this is just so good. Look, I'll just read it. I'll just read it. Doesn't even need my commentary. Jesus says, I am he who lives and was dead. I used to be dead, but I'm alive. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Jesus, amen himself, people. <laughs> Like sometimes I'm a little old school and I'm, I am from like just a more charismatic church. So when I preach, I like it when people, and you feel the liberty. This is me just kind of just empowering you right now. Feel the liberty to say appropriate things like amen or yes, I agree, hallelujah, whatever. Preach a white boy, whatever, holler at your boy, whatever you want to say, I don't care. <clears throat> I don't care. But I, I love it when people participate. Amen simply means yes, yes, I, I agree. Jesus makes a statement. He goes, I used to be dead. I'm alive. Amen, I agree with that. Like he's agreeing with himself. That's just bad right there. That's just great preaching. Jesus is like, that was good, amen. <laughs> but look at this, but look at this, thank you. He says, and I have the keys of Hades. Hades is simply the grave. It's a place physical death when you're laid in the grave. I have the keys of Hades and, look, capital D, death. That's spiritual death. Listen, the devil is so defeated he does not even have keys to his own house. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he took the keys of death, hell, the grave. He took them. Here's what keys, spiritually, here's what keys represent all throughout the Bible. Authority. 
When, when, when Jesus says, I used to be dead, I was resurrected, I'm now alive, and look at what I have right here. I have authority over death. I have authority. The devil doesn't have authority. I have authority over death. And listen, it was not just for Jesus, it was for you. It was for you. He conquered the grave for you. He has the keys. Uh, I read this from a scholar this week as I was studying He says this, if Jesus is dead, then Christianity is dead. If Jesus is alive, then Christianity is alive. Paul himself declared, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no savior, no salvation, no forgiveness of sin, and no hope of resurrected eternal life. Apart from the resurrection, Jesus is reduced to yet another good but dead man and therefore is of no considerable help to us in this life or at its end. Plainly stated, without the resurrection of Jesus, the few billion people today who worship Jesus as God are gullible. Their hope for a resurrection life after this life is the hope of silly fools who trust in a dead man to give them life. But if he is risen, this is one of the greatest messages we have today because it gives us hope. It gives gives us hope. I love this. Many of the biblical writers wrote about it, about resurrection, and I just want to read the Apostle Paul, what he said. Look in Philippians chapter 3, and we'll camp here for a second. This is what Paul said. The previous verses of Philippians 3, verse 1 through through 9, he basically says, I used to be religious. I, I used to obey all the rules, the spiritual rules, the law. I would keep it to a T. And I would cross every T. I would dot every line. I mean, I was religious. I, I would go to church every Sunday. I would pay my tithes. I would, do, I would do all these things. He goes, but then I realized that all the religious activity was, was empty and shallow. It was nothing. How many know you can go to church and not actually be a follower of Jesus? You can go to McDonald's. It doesn't make you a hamburger. Listen. <laughs> Paul says, I did all this, all the religious things, like I did it all. And yet the reality was, is I knew religion, but I didn't know a relationship with God. And so then he goes on and he says, everything I used to do, my moralism, my, you know, doing the right things. I didn't do this. I did this, all this stuff. I I then realized it was all garbage. It was worthless. It was futile. It was empty. And then he says this, but I have a, I have a new goal. Verse number 10, my goal is to know him. You know, Paul's Paul's saying, I don't care about knowing religion. I want to know Jesus. I want to know, I want to have a personal experience. That's part of our vision. Look right there. Know God. Our desire is for you, for every one of you to know God, not to know God through your mom or your dad's spiritual experience, not to know God from from some, some other person's kind of story, but that you would personally have an experience with Friday, your sins would be forgiven, and then you could know the person, Jesus. He's not just an idea. He's not just some system of religious activity. Jesus is a person. He's the person God made flesh in a real personal relationship with you. You can know him. You can know his love for you, his grace for you. You can know his plan for you. You can know God. And Paul said, that's my goal. I don't care about knowing about religion. I know it. I've done it. Been there. I got the religious t-shirt. It doesn't work. He says, but my goal is I want to know God and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I'm going to talk about this for a moment. Because Paul makes this connection. He says, I want to know Jesus. But these other two things I want to know as well. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to know the fellowship 
of his suffering. The fellowship of his suffering is simply this. He's saying, I want to know what all Jesus suffered for me. I want to know the scope of the pain that he experienced for me. Because if I can know what he went through for me, the crown of thorns on his head, the the 39 lashes on his back that he was shamed in front of everyone, stripped naked and hung on a cross, if I can know the depth of what he was willing to do for me, then it will compel me to follow him with all of my heart. I wanna know the fellowship of his suffering. I wanna know what it was all about. But, But in addition to just knowing what Jesus went through, Paul's saying, I think if I knew what he went through, I would be willing to suffer for him as well. I think a lot of times we're not willing to do things for Jesus. We don't say yes when he tells us to do things because we don't truly understand. We haven't grasped the depth and the scope of what he has already done for us. You know why Lydia is going to Turkey? You know why she's going to Lebanon? It it doesn't make any sense. I promise you this. Her parents are probably like, what are you doing? You know why she's going there? She's risking a lot because she knows what Jesus has done for her. Paul says, I want to know the fellowship of your suffering But he also said that we know the power of your resurrection. The implication is this, is that that there's a resurrection that we can experience a resurrection power, not just when we die, but right here, right now, we can know it. Right now, we can know it. But here's a couple questions for you. Here's the first one. Do you know Christ, who he is, and what he has suffered for you? I'm not asking you, have you ever been to church before? I'm not asking you, have you been christened? I'm not asking you, have you ever prayed a prayer? I'm not asking you if you've ever been baptized or filled out a card. I'm not asking you if your mom or dad brought you to church when you were a kid or if your grandmother forced you to go. I'm asking you to be candid and and to look inside your soul and say, do I know Jesus? Do I know him? Because can I tell you this? God wants you to know him. Because if you know God personally, experientially, you know him and you know his love for you, I'm telling you, you won't, you won't struggle with the things you've been struggling with, the way you've struggled by yourself. You'll know that you are affirmed by him. You are loved by him. You're accepted by him. He believes in you, that he sees the greatest things. When you know him, it is so much better than not knowing him. Trust me. Do you know Christ and what he's suffered for you? Do you know what he's done on the cross for you? Here's the second thing, second question I want you to consider is this, is do you know the power of the resurrection. What does that mean? Like you're alive right now. I don't think any of you have died yet and come back to life. But, but what does it mean to know the power right now, the power of the resurrection, what we celebrate Easter Sunday today? What does it mean? I believe that there's many people that have had a Friday experience. They've come to know Jesus. He's forgiven them of their sins. They have a fresh start and a new beginning. They truly are followers of Jesus. They're doing their best to follow him. But there's still areas of their life that are in ruins. They're saved, they're forgiven, they're on their way to heaven, they know God, but but their marriage is still in ruins. Their family is still broken down. They're still dealing with that same addiction, that same struggle. They're still dealing with the same amount of loneliness and, and insecurity and their life is broken and in ruins. And here's what I know. They haven't experienced the power of, his, of, of the resurrection because here's what the power of the resurrection does. The Bible teaches us that his resurrection power can take our ruins and bring them back to life. He can rebuild our life. He doesn't just want to redeem you. He wants to rebuild you. He wants to rebuild your life and make your life beautiful to where other people that you work with 
they see the peace you have. They see the joy you have. They see your marriage and they see your, your children and they see the way that you steward your resources and your finances. God wants to rebuild your life in such a way where it's not a mess, but it's a message. That's what God wants to do with your life. He wants the ruins to come to life. I, I want you to see this. Jennifer and I, we're, we're, we have this opportunity, this free leadership deal, um, the first or second week of May to go to London. I've never been to London. She has before. Um, and so we're going to London for this leadership training and conference. And, uh, and, and sometimes they, they do this special deal where they will tag on uh, for, the, for, the, for the guys. They'll tag on a little golf trip to Scotland to the old course at St. Andrews. I'm, I'm a golfer, I'm a terrible golfer, but I am a golfer, okay? And, uh, and, and I'm excited because when we go to Scotland, I wanna go and see this. Can you put it, this is, uh, if, if you know anything, if you've ever been to Scotland, this is uh, St. Andrew's Cathedral. St. Andrew's Cathedral, um, it was built in, you know, like the late 1100s into the 1200s. It took a long period of time to build. It's a beautiful, beautiful cathedral. Um, it was, it was uh, consecrated in around 1300 or so. And, um, and then like 60 years later, a storm came and it, it literally, it, it destroyed a portion of St. Andrews, broke down a portion of St. Andrews, destroyed a portion of it. So it was in ruins. And they said, we, we can't let this beautiful building stay in ruins. And so they rebuilt the ruins. They resurrected the ruins, they rebuilt it. Well, just a little bit while later, uh, a fire broke out and burnt St. Andrews and just left the place desecrated and in disrepair. It was, it was terrible. But someone said, we, we cannot leave the ruins like this. We must rebuild the ruins. So they rebuilt it. And, and over and over again throughout history, St. Andrews, poor St. Andrews, it would be ruined and then rebuilt and then ruined again and then rebuilt. And eventually, eventually, like in the 1600s, they were like, they just kind of threw their hands up. They're like, there's no hope for St. Andrews. And in the 1600s, they just left it like this in ruins. And they said, we, we, can't, we can't rebuild anymore. It's beyond repair. And now they have people that just maintain the ruins and try to make it look as best as possible so that people can see the beauty of the ruins. I think... May I submit to you, I think that this is what many of our lives, even as followers of Christ, look like. Where there are areas of our life where we've, we've tried to rebuild, but then two weeks later, two years later, two months later, it's ruined again. And then, and then we, 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 we feel so terrible. We look at our life and we, we get kind of disgusted and dissatisfied with that area. And we're like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I don't want to struggle with this anymore. I want to be rebuilt. So then you try to rebuild and then, then it's ruined again. This happens in our marriage. It happens with our careers. It happens with our finances. It happens with addiction, life controlling cycles in our life. And a lot of times you have Christians that have experienced Friday, but they're not experiencing daily the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, having the ruins rebuilt in their life so that they can be a beautiful cathedral. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, displaying the glory of God. And God's desire is for your life not to look like that, for your marriage not to look like that, for your family not to look like that. That's not God's desire for you. He wants you to be at a place, not of perfection, but of progress, where he is rebuilding you and restoring you and using you in the world that you live in. You know, I think about my own life I'm 36 years old now, getting old, okay? And uh, 
I thought you were gonna come up here and agree with me that I'm getting old, <laughs> Elton. But I was, I was probably 15 years old and my life began to fall apart. I grew up in church and had a religious experience, a lot of rules, and I think, I think my family was doing their best to create a spiritual environment, but I didn't see that. All I saw was the religion and rules and what I couldn't do. And as a kid, I think that's all we focus on is what we can't do, right? Maybe even as adults, we're just grown up kids, right? And I just fell into this religious trap and I was like, I don't wanna have anything to do with God. And then I said, I don't care about knowing God, but here's what I wanna do. I wanna know myself. So I left this idea of knowing God and didn't want anything to do with religion. And I I went on this pursuit of self-discovery. I wanna know myself. That's more important than knowing God. Well, here's what I discovered at the end of that is as I became aware of my, my, the reality of my life, I realized I was broken, empty, and in ruins. I was 18 years old and I was at my mom's apartment and I went upstairs and I remember walking into this room and it was completely empty. There was really no furniture other than a bed laying on the floor and a pile of dirty clothes everywhere, like a typical 18-year-old guy, right, bachelor. Just stuff everywhere. It was a mess and yet it was empty at the same time. And it was in that moment I began to see a picture of the reality of the condition of my soul. My life was in ruins and I was empty. And it was in that moment where I bowed my knee to Jesus and I said, I I need my old life to die. I need a new life. I need to be resurrected to life. I was dealing with drug addiction. I was very angry and would get in fights all the time. I was was a mess. I was insecure, borderline suicidal. My life was a mess. And I, I, I grew up in a pastor's home. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about religion and all those things. I was at a place where I was completely empty and my life was in ruins. I was in that place that I bowed my knee to Jesus and I said, I said, I commit my life to you. But God, I need you to resurrect the ruins in my life. I don't want to be like this anymore. I need you to rebuild my life. And he began to rebuild it. And I thought about this scripture right here, Ephesians 1. Paul says this, and this has been my prayer for you. I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great his power is. Look, to help. God wants to help you. He he wants to help your marriage. He wants to help the addiction. He wants to help the brokenness. He wants to help the anxiety and the depression. He wants to help. And Paul says, my prayer is that you would just understand the incredibly great power that is available to help those, those who? Those who believe in him. Those that have had a Friday experience. It is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead, Paul says. And listen, I don't know how much power it took to raise him from the dead. I don't know how much it took for God to raise Jesus from the dead, but listen, I just gotta believe that it's enough power to resurrect your marriage, to resurrect the depression, to resurrect the addiction, to resurrect the anxiety, to resurrect the loneliness, and and, and to bring you to a place where those things die, but now you have peace and you have joy and you have wholeness and you have healing and you have forgiveness. I just have to believe that if that power was powerful enough for Jesus, it's gotta be powerful enough for you. This is the final thing I want to tell you. This is Isaiah 61. This is why this is so important that God resurrects your ruins. This is a prophecy about Jesus that would one day come. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Jesus would want, later, he would quote this about himself. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That's not the financial poor. It's the spiritually poor. Those that are bankrupt. He said, I've got good news for those that are spiritually poor. I can make them rich. I can make them rich in righteousness because of what I have done. 
He says, he has sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our Lord. He says, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called, they will be called oaks of righteousness a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the, the, ru- the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Here, here's why I wanted to tell you this. I believe, number one, it says that God, that good news is for the poor. That is that God can, he, he can, he can share with you his marvelous grace He can give you grace and he can give you love to resurrect your life, to give you a fresh start and a new beginning. You can know him. But the second thing, he can bind up the brokenhearted. You know what that is? That is rebuilding your life. That is is taking all the broken pieces of your life and restoring and rebuilding it. But then I love this. It says that they will be called oaks of righteousness. That is that he can help you discover your true identity, who you really are. And then it says, after all that happens, after they know him and after they've been rebuilt and they know their identity, it says, then they will start rebuilding the ruins of their cities. See, this is really the point, I believe, is that God wants to restore your ruins. He wants to resurrect the ruins of your life. And then he invites you to to join him in, in his mission to help restore and rebuild the broken places and people around you. That is what God has called us to do. You have a story like Nick's story and like so many stories in here, like my story, and God could use it. So here's the four things for you. Stop dying, number one. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and say, stop dying. Stop dying. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Listen, resurrection is not just something Jesus does. It is who he is. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Listen, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and he rose again, all you have to do is believe. And the Bible says that you can be made new, that you can be made new. You can stop dying and you can truly start living. I love this phrase. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. The second thing is you can start rebuilding. You can start rebuilding your life. Here's how you do that. I believe that you start rebuilding your life. God will rebuild your life. When you find yourself committed to a group of of, of believers like this in a small group or something where people can begin to encourage you and you can begin to to walk through the things in your life and God can begin to rebuild and restore your life. I wanna encourage you, start rebuilding your life. Third one is this, stop doubting. Some of you, when you hear that you can be resurrected, your ruins can be resurrected and you can be oaks of righteousness, you can display the splendor of God, you're thinking, there's no way my marriage would ever display God's splendor. There's no way that, that the way that I, my whole life, the, the, the things that I struggle with, the addiction, there's no way I could ever, listen, stop doubting. I was addicted to a lot of things and God set me free and he rebuilt my life. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you. Stop doubting, stop doubting. Believe the best about your situation. Listen, grace will meet you where you are, but it will never leave you where it found you. It will never leave, it where, leave you where it found you. God sees greatness in you that you can't even see in yourself. Listen to me. This is where we, we do something called the growth track. Here at our church, if you've been here for a little while, you know this. We help people go through a growth track and they begin to discover their strengths and their gifts. The people you see up on this platform, listen, 
They just went through a growth track. They discovered, I've got this gift to do this or that. I mean, I'm just thinking about Jeffrey. Jeffrey's sitting right down here. He went through the growth track. Listen, we discovered that this brother sounds like John Legend. I can't wait for him to sing. We see greatness in you. We see greatness. I don't know if anybody's ever, ever told you, we see greatness in you. We see greatness in you. God sees great things in you. You can, you can, he can restore splendor to where people can look at your life and see the beauty of it. And here's the last one. Start living. Start living. And here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus came to make you alive and to give you something to live for. Some of you, you found yourself in a rut of just living to make money. And now you're so rich or now you're so poor, all you have is money. A lot of times we fall in the trap of just making money and we fail to make a difference. Listen, you, I'll, I'll tell you this from my experience. You never truly start living till you start giving your life away to others, till you start serving other people, till you start taking your story of your ruins coming to life, sharing it with people and inviting people to join the journey so that their ruins can come to life. Amen. Easter is not an event but it's the process of experiencing the resurrection power of God as it rebuilds your life. And at the same time, it's a reminder of an invitation to join God's mission in rebuilding and restoring the broken places and the people in your world. Isaiah 58, I'll conclude with this, says this, and this is my hope for our church. Your sons will rebuild the long deserted ruins of your cities and you will be known as the people who rebuild their walls and their cities. Listen, I love our city here. It's so beautiful, but make no mistake about it. There's a lot of broken people here. And my prayer is that God would collectively use all of us to bring hope to people that find their life in ruins. Amen.